When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Right. Thank you for the music. A very good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I think we can do much better. I know it's evening, it's Thursday, but tomorrow is Friday. Weekend is coming. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Fantastic. Welcome and thank you so, so much for making time. Contrary to popular belief, my name is Makbul, not Don, not Karis, not otherwise. But I am here today, of course, to carry this amazing conversation that we are having. And I would like to thank everyone for making time to come for this. And just a bit of a background, why we are. Since 1992, as we gear up for the International Day of Persons with Disabilities, it's been an annual observation on the 3rd of December around the world. Now, the theme of 2019 is promoting the participation of persons with disabilities and their leadership taking action on 2030 development agenda. Now, some of the things that we are going to be talking about here, and please, at any particular point, feel free to jump in and, of course, be part of the conversation. You can ask a question I will run to you, and we can answer that with our panelists. And getting to our panelists, please put your hands together as I introduce our distinguished guests for tonight who are going to be handling this particular uh, conversation from the Education Office, Inclusive Education and Disability, UNICEF, Kenya, Mr. Roland Jr. via Mel? Villa Mero. Close enough. A round of applause, please. Senior Disability Service Officer in Charge of Rehabilitation and Habilitation uh, Department, uh, Mr. Alex Munyere. Makofi Tafadali. Research Assessment and Partnership, Kise, Makofi Tafadali, Lydia Chege. And Country Director, Sense International Kenya, we are glad to be joined by Mr. Edwin Osunwa. Thank you. And of course, Ministry of Health, we are glad to be joined by Dr. Judy Kamau. Dr. Judy. Right, somewhere. <laughs> And of course, Principal Education Officer, Directorate of Special Needs Education, Ministry of Education, Mr. Martin Mongela Kavua. And as well, one of the most humble and amazing human beings I've ever had the pleasure of meeting. A mother of three living with two persons with disabilities in the house, as young as about 10 years old. She gives me strength, not so because of what she's dealing with, but how she deals with it every single morning and lets the world know more and more and more 
about the plight of people living with disabilities. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together for Miss Africa Elite 2020, Miss United Nations 2020, Elite Face of Africa 2020, Makofi Tavadali to our moderator, Sylvia Mora Mochabo. Good evening. We are not so tired, right? We are not. And we've been waiting for this day. Okay, I have been waiting for this day for so, so long. How many of us are as excited as I am? Awesome. So I'm not alone. So uh, as he has said, he said everything. There's nothing else to actually add. <laughs> so I, I want us to have this conversation, all right? Not a debate, not a fight, but a conversation. So this town hall forum, we are actually geared towards seeing where we are, where we want to be for the future of our children, all right? What, are our, what have our experiences been? For our panelists, we already have received a lot of questions. So we will try as much as we can to maintain the time. Are we ready to push it to 9 p.m.? Are we... Okay. Sorry. Sorry, Kabunyo. <laughs> All right. We're good? Those are the challenges we live with in this space. <laughs> We're experiencing um, that. Just come here. All right. Thank you. So I'd like for us to say thank you, thank you very much for all of you who are here, for all the organizations, the parents, and uh, our people in leadership who have come to represent different ministries, different organizations, so that by the end of the day, at least we will be able to have a way forward, an idea of where we stand. And the main focus area is neurodevelopmental disabilities, for we have people who may not understand what that is. This is, we're going to be covering neurodevelopmental disorder. That's autism, cerebral palsy, all right? Learning disability, that includes dyslexia. We have then also ADHD. Uh, we have rare diseases in the house. Where is Team T21? Awesome, okay, good, just confirming. <laughs> so the areas that I'm not a special, specializing in, I have good backup. CPSK in the house? CPSK for cerebral palsy? Good. Autism Association? Awesome. And uh, ADAT? ADAT? Okay. All right. And I know we have uh, able parents here with us, Marcy, who will also be sharing that with us. And I'd like to hand over back to Makbul, at least, if there is any first question before we start. Anything that I've not touched on that you'd like to be touched on? All right. Let's roll then. Right. We have sorted out seating arrangement. Now, we get into the discussion. But first, I would, there's a testimonial that I would like all of us to listen keenly and understand more about our discussion today. And for that, I would like to call upon Mercy to come on stage. Makofi Tavadali. Good evening, everyone. Good evening again. So my name is Masi Bogori. I'm a mother to triplet boys uh, with autism aged eight years old. And uh, all of the three of them are uh, in the autism uh, spectra. I would just like to briefly share my experience as a mother of uh, three children with an invisible disability. And I have to say that 
the journey began with just the diagnosis. So um, my sons were born premature at uh, seven months. So uh, there were many indicators that could have uh, indicated that what they have is a delayed milestone. So I was moving from one doctor, one hospital, because as a mother, I could tell there's something really wrong with my sons because these are my last bonds. I have four others, so I have experience. But going to all these people and you're being told that uh, there's nothing wrong with, uh, with your sons, it's probably because they were born very premature, they are triplets, and they are boys. And all these three predisposes uh, children to delayed milestones. So why am I giving this background? I'm giving this background because in this country, uh, we do not have a system for early detection and diagnosis. And we know that autism, actually, the earlier you catch it, the better the outcome. Because autism prognosis is actually very, very good. Because um, it is just as a result of inflammation of the brain. So having said that, I went through a very traumatic experience. And even when the diagnosis actually came, it was not in the way that I would expect or in line with the best practices in the, you know, in the world. So you go to a top neurologist and in five days, in five minutes, he looked at my sons and he said, oh, these ones are autistic. Look at this one, he's in his own world. This one is a little better. This one is, you know, I left there and went to the toilet to throw up. I mean, it was such a violent emotion. It was like being hit by a car. And I am hoping that this setup here is going to capture some of these things and be a little bit more humane and professional in the way diagnosis is done. Also because of that, so our children got uh, diagnosis at three and a half years. And you can imagine the time they lost in terms of interventions. Because in the global, in the global scene, you can have autism being caught even at, the, at 18 months, you know, but we lack we lack a good system where, that, where all these uh, screening uh, methodologies are available. So then after diagnosis, what next? You are told there is, there is no cure, there is no hope. Just go and try to um, put your child to be able to at least get activities of daily living, you know. And yeah, autism in itself is hard enough. But I think the message, there is no hope. You're given a document of diet to go and practice it, and you do it for a year, for two years, and really there is not much change. So I actually went into clinical depression. You know, I became manic for a whole year. So here is my family, three kids with a bad disability, and myself now, I am also very sick. So it, it, it is not something that I would wish anyone to go through, but it is something I would wish to share my experience so that the landscape in this country can actually be changed. So then after that, you, you try to pull out by meeting pa parents, reading about autism, and then now you start the journey of, okay, accepting, and now moving forward. What do you do with your children? Yes, they have autism. What do you do with your children? And I have to say that what has helped me really is, is you know, it's a global village, 
and uh, there isn't much in Africa that to give you to give you a roadmap. So if parents struggle the first uh, few years, you waste a lot of money chasing this and that. But uh, where I have found a lot of um, positiveness is actually in going out there, looking at the information, because we live in an information world, and trying to bring something that, you know, is in line with what is going on in the, in, in, in the global uh, scenario. So uh, one of the challenges, of course, was uh, putting my children to the right place. To, uh, because when you read what is required, you see that they really need a lot of things from a school setup. And you realize that uh, when I move from the, 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 the private, the, the government schools, you find most of the whole, most of the, of the special needs schools, it's just like a, a daycare center. There is the walls, you know, but uh, there is no infrastructure. There is no infrastructure in terms of physical, in terms of human resource. You find that in a class you have so many children, the, the, the ratio of child to, to the, the, the teacher is, is, is very high and it's supposed to be the vice versa. So um, how did I grapple with this? So, and because now the school setup, if you look at the global best practice for autism, is you find that uh, the special education is, it, it goes hand in hand with a number of evidence-based multidisciplinary interventions. So they are all in one physical place so that the parent is not spending a lot of money moving from one corner to the other, chasing OT, chasing speech, chasing a, a brain gym, you know. So what did we do after coming to this realization. Um, they say that uh, necessity is the mother of all inventions. And uh, we teamed up with a number of parents and actually started a special needs school. It's called the Nairobi Early Intervention Center in Lovington. We are struggling to bring it to the center because we know, we know best practices, but it is very expensive to do this. We have no um, access to government assistance and even registering the school itself uh, the the person representing the Ministry of Education please I would like you to note this because I have moved in your in your ministry so much so many departments trying to register this school and it, it was it was such a nightmare and up to now the school is really not registered because you see in this country even if you google special needs school in this country you will not catch even one because we fall under cbo we fall under cbo we don't really fall under under you know a structured school so this is one of the areas that i would really like uh, the the ministry to 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 look at and besides that to register this uh, special needs school so you will find that we have strange names, like uh, because our center is for autism and early intervention is the key, we wanted to register a school called the Nairobi Early Intervention Center, and we were told it is not possible. So now we have to register it as a CBO. So why is that? We need a systematic way. We need special needs school to be recognized like any other school and given due you know, due assistance, because now there are so many departments to really fall under. Then after that, you have the school, and uh, you need a lot of resources. Even to teach one, two, three, A, B, C, you, we don't use the chalk. The, 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 
We don't use the blackboard. You, know, you have to be creative. You have to offer this in a play setup. And even to get those resources in this country, I'm afraid to say that we do not have. I have had to buy these things abroad. My friends in the diaspora, some of them, they, they donate, they give. So we don't even have access. And these are assistive devices, if you will. They actually fall under assistive devices. The way the people who are deaf need hearing aids. You know, we need these things. We need Montessori things. They need fine motor. You know, all these things, we need them to be recognized as assistive devices for autism. You know, I'm speaking more for autism. So there, there, is, there is that gap. Then you also find that uh, um, for special needs school, you find that uh, the children also are not registered under the, just a moment. They are not registered under NEMIS, you know. We need our children automatically. They, they do it with the neurotypical. We also need our children captured in the NEMIS system. You know, it should be smooth, it should be automatic, it should be mandatory, you know. Uh, we also need to have, uh, Excuse me. We also need to have to need. We also need a lot of tax exemption on some of these uh, materials and equipments that we use for teaching. Teaching is part of therapy, you know. So we need that expanded in the tax exemption. Myself, as we are talking, I had to quit my job. You know, I am actually studying my. I'm doing my PhD right now, and for the last six, seven years, I've not been able to muscle that. I had even to quit my job. Why? Because autism is a very traumatizing condition. I wish I had brought my children here. I think maybe you would have really had a glimpse of, because sometimes when you talk about autism, you don't really know the real picture. But everyone here in the government needs really to see, visit our family, see how they live, see how, how hard our lives are. You know, we give up everything, you know, everything. Our resources, our time, our energies, you know, are just focused on that. When people are investing in other things, we sell what we have for our children, you know. And we need the government to give us social protection, you know. We need that because we are really struggling. We feel like, you know, the Vision 20 that talks about leaving no one behind. But let me tell you, the government representative, we have been left behind in all aspects when it comes to parents, to children of autism. Employment, you know, who, who employs? We, they cannot even hold, even those who can do some, some things, who will, they can't, they, they can't compete successfully with the, with, with the, with the typical, um, with the typical uh, interviews. So uh, the UNICEF representative, I would like as a parent to make a plea, please take the cause for autism. It, it is, we, we, we are not well represented. Please fight for us. Fight for us because we are out there alone. We do not have anyone who really understands our scenario. I think I will stop there so that I can give somebody else some room. Thank you. Thank you. I think we can do much better than that. For the life that Mercy is living in the words that she said, please applaud her for the strength that she has. And for all the mothers and parents living with persons with disability at home, this is why we're having this forum and why we're having this discussion. It is the first time uh, bringing you the round table. Well, 
not really a round table, but you know, a discussion with key stakeholders as we forge uh, a way of inclusion by giving the parents, the key partners, a way into the policies affecting our neurodiverse communities. And I would like to, of course, welcome the moderator and the person who inspires, I suppose, me and a lot of other people, because I have seen firsthand early in the morning trying to get the kids ready to go to school and it is not easy and i for one sat and thought you never know until you wear the shoe this discussion is really important and for that i would like to call upon one more time our moderator and of course founder andy speaks to come and talk to us sylvia mochaba makofita for that Thank you, everyone. Um... At Kroger, shopping with pickup and delivery is the same as shopping in-store. Same low prices, deals, and rewards on the same high-quality items. It's one small click for groceries, one big win for busy families everywhere. Start your cart today at Kroger.com. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Save big on your favorites with the buy five or more, save a dollar each sale. Simply buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with your card. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Why I wanted Marcy to start? Because Marcy's stories and uh, experience covers most of the things that we have gone through as parents and as people trying to intervene and make the pl this place better for our children. The things that I wanted our panels to get from her conversation is some of the struggles. What is it exactly do we go through as parents? as a community trying to survive in the neurotypical society. And now I'd like to start from, I'm sure you've picked notes and questions and queries. <laughs> so that actually I have over 100 questions that were handed in by parents and the community. So I want to give you this opportunity one by one. The area that you had is addressed in your dockets. Just mention it, go into it, what policies, how are we covered, how do we move forward? Then if there is an area where it will not be covered, I will actually bring in the questions and also bring, broaden it so that we can cover more on that. Is that cool? Are we okay with that? Okay, then now, okay, we'll also come back to the floor once we finish everything that has been brought forward. And if there's any area that we will not have covered by that time, then we'll come back and uh, open the floor for uh, further discussions. Yes? If someone says kapish, you say kaboom, right? <laughs> kapish? <laughs> Good, so we are together. Uh, we'd like to start from there. We'll start with Alex. <laughs> okay, thank you. <coughs> know where they okay good evening everybody um, my name is Alex Munire and I work for the National Council for Persons with Disabilities I am in charge I'm a program officer in charge of uh, rehabilitation and habilitation that has um, four components the assistive device component albinism sign language and the rehabilitation itself. Um, I'm here to stand on behalf of uh, the director of National Council for Persons with Disabilities, Honorable Mohammed Hussein Gabo, um, who was supposed to come, 
uh, and he also sent our senior uh, assistant director um, in charge of programs who also was engaged somewhere so they decided that I come. Um, I'm here uh, to listen and I'm here to learn um, although I have also been in the field of special education I thought I heard about Mr. Osundwa uh, he was uh, a classmate of mine in Kenyatta University so I have a small background of um, special education and I think I have interacted with the uh, autism in particular uh, when Autism Society of Kenya was being formed I don't know where that echo is coming from um, I was involved because I was a chair of Albinism Society of Kenya so I come from the civil society uh, background and uh, I know the journey is long and we are at the council we do what we can humanly possible to support and uh, do the interventions that the government is supposed to do but where we are not able uh, then we we just uh, pray God that we are enabled however I just want to say one thing based on what uh, my dear sister said it is true that uh, sometimes we don't give enough information on to parents um, particularly when parents are in that situation where they have just found themselves in that condition that situation of getting a child they don't know how to handle him and we are supposed to be as a government we are supposed to be the custodians of information but sadly we sometimes uh, do not give the right information and when a child is born uh, how we relay that information to the parent is very critical it will help him the parent either accept the child or even reject further the child so I want to agree with her that we have a lot to do particularly early identification and I also want to agree that uh, we have no programs that are really established for neurological disorders in the country. And the few that are there, they are not well supported. But I want to say that there is hope at the end of the tunnel because um, there was a discussion with the current cabinet secretary uh, in charge of uh, finance who was, who is our minister and he had agreed he had agreed to set aside a fund uh, to cater for particularly specifically autism I don't know how far that fund is in uh, terms of uh, being implemented but there is that discussion in creating a fund just like what the government did with creating a fund for persons with albinism we are moving towards getting a fund for persons with uh, autism. So I think let me stop it at that and maybe give somebody else some uh, opportunity to speak. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Alex. Uh, 
Thank you, Marcy and Sylvia. We are on the same side. Maybe I should start from there. My name is uh, Martin Mungela Kavua from Ministry of Education, the Directorate of uh, Special Needs Education. Uh, Alex, thank you for starting the culture of standing up uh, because I'm more comfortable standing up having taught for longer than I've been in the office. So this is, sorry? Should I sit down, maybe the echo will be less? Let me see. Is it better now? Oh, great, then. Then I'll sit down to my disadvantage, but it's okay. So uh, at the Ministry of Education, we recognize and we acknowledge that we currently do have challenges and we have had challenges. We have challenges, as you've highlighted, Mercy. Uh, of course, Sylvia agrees with you very strongly. Challenges of uh, uh, infrastructure, challenges of uh, identification and assessment, um, challenges of processes that we should have in place that sometimes are there, but probably we have a few issues with the implementation. And I would like to say that uh, as a ministry, and by the way, I speak for, I'm, I'm in the place and uh, representing the director, uh, in the Directorate of uh, Special Needs Education, and maybe that is where I should have started, Mr. Frederick Hager, he sent me to represent him, uh, so I'm representing him. Uh, so we do have quite a number of those challenges, issues of transition, I know are real issues, especially for children who have challenges like uh, autism, the ones that are on the spectrum. And I would like to say that we have put certain structures in place already. The issue of registration of schools that you've raised is an issue actually that starts at the county level. The registration should be from the county level, moving to the national level. So I would advise that it would be better for probably you and us to have a discussion. You are free to come to the, to the directorate. Director is very open to meeting people, by the way you should be very free to come to the directorate, then we can have a discussion um, in the direction of the, the handles that you've had. Then we can resolve that, because I don't think registering a school, if it meets the standards, I don't think it should be really a main challenge. Uh, the issue of funding, as we speak right now, for public schools, for public schools, we fund children with disabilities, and we fund them to a level that is more than double what we fund children without disabilities. If we have people that are in the education sector in this place, they would acknowledge this as the truth. Uh, we provide two kinds of funds. We provide what we call the top up, and then we give the grants. I would have been very glad to provide specifics, but we've had a slight change in, in, in policy and guidance, guidelines and, and we I will not be able to share the specific amounts, uh, but take my word that it is more than double what we provide for children without disabilities for both primary and secondary school. Regarding um, the issue of assessment, we did well. As far back as uh, 1986, when we began to operationalize EACs, and we have structures of EACs across the country. Now, are the EACs running as smoothly as they should? And by the way, EACs means Educational Assessment and Resource Centers. We acknowledge, and the NESEP document, 
that is our current strategic plan, NESEP stands for the National Education Sector Strategic Plan, acknowledges these challenges and has them in a list. So we acknowledge we do have challenges in EACs, we have challenges in the skill set of, of, of the EACs, we have challenges in the level of support that the education assessment and resource center officers provide to the teachers. So we do have challenges, but the structure is there. And that is something to be proud of. Um, so how, what are we doing to resolve this? We are partnering with, with, the, with organizations. We are having public-private partnerships. And one of the key ones currently is a partnership we have with UNICEF, where we are refurbishing two educational assessment centers and equipping them. And that is Garissa Educational Assessment and Resource Center and St. Paul's Education EAC in Nairobi. That is something that we are doing. You might also be aware that there is a national educational assessment and research center that has been established at KISE, and KISE is here to, to confirm that. And that is also an effort from government to ensure that the structure works. As we speak, the plans for the future in terms of early identification, assessment, referral, and all that is to have sub-county EACs who would refer them to county EACs. And then if you remember when the president was launching the sector policy for learners and trainees with disabilities, which is a very pro-inclusive education policy. Actually, the overarching principle of the sector policy is inclusive education. When the president was launching that policy, he clearly stated that first 20% of funding for infrastructure would go to uh, funding institutions that cater for learners with special needs and disabilities. And two, that we would establish 10 regional educational assessment and resource centers. And what we see in future is a situation where we will have the county EACs that will be able to refer to the regional EACs that will be more resourced than them. And finally, we have the National um, Assessment and Research Center at KISE, which will be the ultimate place to refer these learners. And that is on the matter of assessment, because I believe once we identify the children, and then we assess them properly, and we place them in the right place, then we'll be able to provide the services. But so long as we do not have the children in school, it might be a challenge to provide the services that we ought to provide. So the latest effort that has been made, and I would say that is a solution to the challenges that have been identified in NESEP, is the session of paper number one of 2019. If you look at that session of paper, it proposes what government is going to do between now and 2022, when NESEP, uh, the, the, the timelines that have been set for NESEP comes to an end to resolve the issues and the challenges that are identified in NESEP. So the session of paper provides solutions if you look at the language of the session of paper and acknowledges the challenges that we have. So I believe we are moving forward and we are likely to get to a good place in the, in, in, in the, in the coming years. Thank you very much. I have a lot more I could say, but I think uh, in the interest of time, let me just stop there. Thank you. All right, thank you, Martin. Actually, 80% of the questions that we got in are geared to KISA, Ministry of Education. Ministry of Health, as you can see, is empty. 
<laughs> we were expecting them and we still have faith that maybe they will come and we will be able to address the National Council. We'll come back to you. And the one key thing that I'd like to just touch on, one of the many questions that came back to you, Martin, is the matter of uh, inclusive education. When we're talking of inclusive and then now we're being very specific about neurodevelopmental disorders. That is one of the main questions. And about the CDC. All right. Yeah. That the, then we had the early intervention we have touched a bit on, and then the new curriculum, that's the one, yeah? Is it, is it well equipped and integration? How is this integration actually being done? Because what we are finding on the ground is we, like you've heard, she started a school, right? That's an early center. Then what next? Where do they go? How many secondary schools do we actually have for neurodevelopmental disabilities? All right. And after that, we have TVET. Do we have actually a specific section under TVET that caters for persons with disabilities, not physical disabilities, because that we believe or from the many uh, emotions that have come through is that there is a lean in when we're talking about disability towards persons with physical disabilities, but neurodevelopmental disabilities are not being covered. So uh, we can ponder on that as we go this way, then at least then we will get back to that. Right? Okay. Then now we'll go to UNICEF, and we would like to get to understand what is the global platform? What exactly are we supposed to be benchmarking inclusion when we're talking about integration, when we're talking about education? You're an education specialist. So what should we be following so that we know, as she's saying, she depends on people in the diaspora to support her. With, uh, so what should it be? What do we expect? The teacher ratio she spoke about, and I'm sure there are many other issues that she, I saw you being very keen. <laughs> so let's hear from your side. Thank you, Sylvia. So my name is Rolando, and I usually emphasize the first syllable of my name because some people call me Orlando or Ronaldo but it's Rolando. I'm originally from the Philippines. Anyone who has been to the Philippines? Oh, you've been to Manila. <laughs> That's good to know. So I am an education officer at UNICEF Kenya, and my work is to work with government to promote inclusive education for children with disabilities. Has anyone of you heard about UNICEF? Anyone who's familiar with UNICEF? Good. So do you know what UNICEF stands for? <laughs> so UNICEF stands for United Nations Children's Fund and we are one of the UN agencies and our main mandate is to promote the rights of children based on the Convention and the Rights of the Child. UNICEF operates in more than 150 countries around the globe and we have UNICEF Kenya country office in Kenya that works specifically with government. So. Mercy mentioned about the role of UNICEF. And generally, UNICEF's mandate is to work with government on issues of advocacy. So we work with government to ensure that the rights of persons with disabilities are promoted. We work also through evidence generation. So the experiences that people with disabilities have from day-to-day -day life in terms of accessing education, in terms of accessing employment, UNICEF works with government and other organizations to gather that evidence to inform policies. And we also have the strategy on service delivery. But going to your question on the global practice, and I think Mercy mentioned about 
the critical role of global practice to promote inclusion in Kenya for children with disabilities. You know, there are lots of international frameworks that we should be aware of. And from UNICEF, since our mandate is on children's rights, I think we need to be very particularly aware of CRC or the Convention on the Rights of the Child. Are we aware of CRC? Yes. And in fact, this year is the 30th anniversary since the adoption of Convention on the Rights of the Child. Now, the CRC, specifically Article 23, mentions about children with disabilities. And in this article, it says that children with disabilities, just like any other children in the society, have the right to access school, have the right to access all the opportunities, including play and recreation. And that's a very critical component we need to be aware of, of the Convention and the Rights of Persons with, of the Child, Article 23. And then you have the CRPD, the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, of which Kenya signed and ratified. And the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities talks about the different rights that persons with disabilities should have in order to be fully included into the society. So we have the right to education, which is Article 24, and there's also the right to health and rehabilitation services, that's Article 25. And there's a specific stipulation that persons with disabilities should be given the same opportunities like people without disabilities in accessing these opportunities. And then, of course, you have the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals. And when I was reading this handout that Andy Speaks distributed at the reception area, you highlighted the four goals. One of them is good health and well-being, which is SDG goal number three. There's also SDG goal number four on quality education. SDG 10 is reduced inequalities, and of course, SDG 17 is partnerships. Now, SDG is a very critical framework because it acknowledges the rights of persons with disabilities. In fact, SDG recognizes the rights of persons with disabilities, and it has been manifested in different indicators from education and all other um, human rights. But the question is, what's, what, so what now? You have the CRC, you have the CRPD, and you have the SDG. So what's the relevance of these frameworks? In 2018, that was last year, the United Nations conducted a study to determine the progress that countries made in order to implement sustainable development goals and the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. The report, if you have your Google and your um, phones right now, is called Disability and Development Report. And the report stresses the progress as well as recognizes the challenges that people with disabilities continue to face. We recognize that there has been progress in terms of policies, in terms of commitments, in terms of funding, but the report also emphasizes the challenges that people with disabilities continue to face. Mercy mentioned about the health. The report exemplifies that people with disabilities continue to be marginalized in terms of health access. In terms of education, a number of children with disabilities continue to be out of school, but if they're in school, they're usually in segregated schooling instead of being part of the mainstream schools. So the report 
acknowledges the challenges that people with disabilities continue to face. In order to respond to these challenges, the United Nations decided to launch the UN Disability Inclusion Strategy. And this is a strategy that mandates all UN agencies, including UNICEF, to ensure that in our programming, in our service delivery, in everything that we do as a UN agency, we promote the inclusion of people with disabilities. Now, before I'll give the microphone to Edwin, maybe our parents and families and also our stakeholders would ask, so Rolando, what's the relevance of SDG and this UN inclusion strategy to a blind child in Cajiado? What's the relevance of the CRPD to a wheelchair user child, for instance, in Wajir, or a child with autism in Garissa? The importance of these frameworks is that they support the governments to review, to develop, and to implement policies that are aligned within the international standards. Case in point is the sector policy for learners and trainees with disabilities. The sector policy looks at the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities as a critical document to inform inclusive education. In fact, the principle on inclusive education in the sector policy was strongly based on the recommendations and stipulations of the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. So these international frameworks are not just papers. They are critical instruments to support governments to ensure that the rights of people with disabilities are promoted. So that's the overall picture. And what we do at UNICEF is to make sure that these frameworks are operationalized in the country level together with government agencies. All right. Oh. <laughs> Let's appreciate him. And then I'll have one question on top of that. Now that the policies are being set, so who benchmarks that Martin actually implemented the policies that you have given them? to follow and ensure that we have the rights trickling down to, like you said, Kajiado Wajir. So who, is UNICEF playing any role in, uh, we signed this document, we have said this is how it's being done, you've agreed you're going to do it. So who goes to follow up to make sure that it's actually going down to the people? That's a good question. The monitoring of these policies and frameworks. I remember in 2014, I think Edwin is aware of this, there was a national action plan in order to implement the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. In fact, there was a steering committee of government, civil society organizations, and the role of this steering committee is to monitor the implementation of CRPD and to report back to the United Nations on the progress as well as the challenges that Kenya continues to face in implementing the CRPD. So to answer your question, Sylvia, there's a steering committee established to monitor the implementation of CRPD with the government. Thank you, thank you for that clarification. I'm sure most of us, when they see UNICEF, we see money. So we'll come back to that. So let's move on to Edwin as you ponder on how that will, is going to be handled or the mentality of how, as you've said, it's policy, but then when it comes and uh, monitoring 
And uh, this other question you will choose either to answer, clarify, and actually categorize it of, action, of uh, the implementation section of it. So we'll move to Edwin. I just want to highlight four important issues. And uh, these issues clearly manifest in what Mercy has said. Mercy has talked about the difficulties she faced when she took her children for diagnosis. Mercy has talked about the struggle of exclusion from services. She talks about the lack of clarity in terms of government plans and commitments about the aspirations of her children. And we are also talking about the emerging disabilities. Let me start with the last one what I call the emerging disabilities, because many years ago, people limited disability to physical disabilities, visual disabilities, hearing impairments, and to some extent, albinism. But now we are confronted with the expanding definition of disabilities, which is bringing, for example, the, these neurodiverse groups. That means we have to redefine how we engage and understand disabilities. For example, people in the media still, in many instances, use a charity lens to reporting about disability. Even when they have good intentions, they still approach it from that point. And yet we have moved to a rights-based approach towards disability. So there is need for training, for example, there. The second issue about inclusion into services services. This is not just in education, it's in health. How are we expanding so that persons with disabilities are included? Unfortunately, the word inclusion brings about misinterpretation in the same measure as the word exclusion brings about. People think in, of inclusion sometimes as fitting in the same basket. Even a basket or baskets have different shapes and it's very difficult for all of us to fit in the same basket. So inclusion must not be used to exclude other people. The definition, if not well and appropriately applied, can be a problem. For example, I work for an organization called Sense International and we work with children who have multiple disabilities. Deaf-blind children, for example. You cannot insist that they immediately go to school. 
just by simply saying a school has a ramp, a school has a trained teacher, some of, sometimes these children must start learning in the home environment. And when they acquire school preparedness skills, they can then transit to school. They are, the reality is some of them may never, may never attend mainstream school. So we, we need to allow them to attend those alternative, alternative learning settings for as long as those settings do not make them limited in how they interact and learn. Inclusion. Very important for us to look at inclusion as a continuum of service provision for our children rather than looking at inclusion as a definition of one basket. For instance, we don't define as education by the walls of a school. Education can happen anywhere. Doesn't matter whether a parent, a teacher comes to the home. For as long as the teacher is delivering instruction to my child in the home, that's education. And for as long as my child can get time to go out inter and interact with the rest at the community level, that can still be education. People like Serena Williams were homeschooled, and here they are. So we must not confine our definition of education to only a school. We must look at the interest of the child and the interest of the learner. The other thing that I wanted to talk about when Masi mentioned the challenges he went through in the hands of different professionals, because the doctor says, your child is autistic and that is it. The reason is <clears throat> for disability and even for many other diagnostic services, it's never done by one person. Hence, the importance of collaborations, putting together multidisciplinary teams, ensuring that different professionals work together. And unfortunately, we have not found it right in this country for the Ministry of Health and Education to work together. There is a big gap. Doctors see teachers and they think that teachers have come as patients. They must be diagnosed and sent to the pharmacy. Teachers see doctors and they think that these ones are confined to hospitals and they cannot do anything outside the hospital. That mentality must shift if we are to confront the challenges we are facing in this century, especially around early diagnosis, intervention, early intervention and screening. Collaborations of multidisciplinary teams must be at the heart of our programming as government. Let us engage. Let, let our doctors know that they only can do so much, but beyond that, teachers can come in. Beyond that, the community. Beyond that, the parent has a say. And that way, we resolve this problem of wrong diagnosis, misdiagnosis, or this problem where somebody 
discourages the parent by using inappropriate language. Many of the doctors that I, I know of don't know that things have moved to a human rights perspective. They will still say, this patient. And sometimes when you are seen as a patient, then everything is limited to the medical aspects. The final thing which uh, I pick from Massey's conversation is that civil society is playing its role but there is much we can do. As civil society, we like talking about advocacy. Advocacy is one good thing because we work to influence government. But sometimes you go to government to influence them and you have not demonstrated what you are influencing them to do. That is why civil society is called upon to play the important role of piloting and innovating. Use the little resources we have to pilot and innovate. If we are saying homeschooling can work for children with neurodiverse disabilities, combine that with inclusive education in the nearest school, demonstrate that through a project, three years, five years, then go and tell government, we've tried it, it works. Please scale it up. Civil society must not preach through advocacy and forget its very important role of innovating, trying out, learning from those mistakes, but making sure that we have evidence. It is the evidence that encourages government to do it. And by the way, government has nowadays improved in terms of listening, picking up. Some of the provisions in our policies have come from civil society. When we talk ab about things like home-based education, we, we piloted a project and we have all the way influenced the government, it's now in policy. It is possible. Civil society, we write proposals. Let's do our research very well, identify good gaps, implement projects around those gaps, if we have enough evidence, go to government and influence. I think that's a role we can play better. Thank you. Good evening, my colleagues. Um, let me start, first of all, by appreciating Masi and uh, what you shared with us. Um, it, was, it, was, it was overwhelming. And I sat here and I was like, I don't want to be the first one to pick the mic. But finally, the mic is here. Then I, I, I wanted to sit next to Edwin, but he stole my words. So next time, I'll make sure I don't sit next to you. Uh, because I wanted to start by saying history has got its role. But I think it's a high time we moved away from history and uh, created and wrote our own history. As Edwin has said, this country has survived with words that personally, as I come from Kise, I abhor. When people talk about traditional disabilities, are there traditional disabilities? What do we mean by traditional disabilities? Uh, and because of that, then we have traditional disabilities and emerging disabilities. Emerging to who? You know, it's like 
somebody coming to Africa and they say they discovered Mount Kenya, did they come with it? Not really. So yeah, we, we, we have to change this conversation and um, I move on to my second point and say, rights are never given, rights are taken. Masi, rights are never given, rights are taken. And we are going to soldier on together. Uh, when I say together, I talk from the government side, but we really need the parents. And that is why in the competency-based curriculum framework, then the parents have got a major role. And the parents will not sit far and look at government like government is not doing something. Martin has said, come, go knock on those doors. If you've read the Bible, for those of us who are Christians, we know that a certain king said, can I just deal with this woman so that she can stop coming anymore? Please go. And don't just go to the Ministry of Education. I know my friend Alex uh, excused himself, but he doesn't stand excused. And I talk, yes, I talk as government, but I combine it also as a mother, and uh, I combine it as a Kenyan. When we talk about our children with special needs, and the use of the term special needs was very deliberate, we had to move from the term disability and say special needs so that we embrace everybody. Uh, then we have to also go knock the doors at National Council for persons with a disability and say, can we stop registration of just persons with physical disabilities? Can we also have registration of all our children with special needs? Because once they are registered, then the Ministry of Education, Martin, you have to just make sure that these children are in MIS, and then you have to fund these children. But you see, if they are not accounted for, if they are not registered, then uh, that is when you knock doors and nothing much is happening. Because if you're not there, if you're not counted, then no one is planning for you. Uh, I move on and say, I've said rights are never given, rights are taken. So as Edwin has said, the uh, civil society, the parents, have to work together with government. And that is why government about uh, four or so years ago picked up what we call the PPP, the private-public partnership. It's a partnership. We have to work together. Uh, government is you and me. It's only that we sit as technocrats in there in the office. But remember, I'm your church mate, I'm your neighbor, we can have these conversations. And if we started them at the grassroots, then when we go to the office, it will become a little bit easier. But come up with a solution and sell the solution to government. Um, having said that, I will also say policies are written. They're drafted, yes, and they become beautiful documents on shelves, but they have to be actioned. Who has to action them? A lot of people have to action them. And I would not apportion blame to anybody, but this is what I'll say. I get very um, upset and dismayed when I receive calls in Kise by a parent in a school, uh, what they would call a regular school that is including, because we are here to come up with a proper definition of an inclusive school, uh, who says, we are like 10 parents in this school and our children are not being served. My first question is, are you in the parents' association? 
And I was just discussing with Martin and say, uh, parents are supposed to avail themselves so that they can be appointed to the parents' association, which in turn has a voice in the board of management. Parents of my children, children with special needs, sometimes shy away from being part of the parents' association. And one parent called me and said, I'm part of the parents' association, but they're not doing anything to our children. What do we mean they're not doing anything to our children? Why are you seated there? Why are you seated there? So if, for example, as parents, we are not represented in the parents' association, we have to again go back to the school and say, by the way, the constitution in Article 54 says, 5% representation. So yes, we don't have a problem. Edwin represents the other parents. We need one parent, even if it is not per class, in this school to represent the interests of our children. And make sure that you select a parent who can talk. Can talk until the roosters come home. Not a parent who will just sit and say, you know, if I say like that, they'll do this to my child. No, talk. And look for forums like this one's talk. Look for uh, 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 an organization. Go there and talk. If Sylvia never talked, we would not be here. Would we be here? She's not funded by government. She's not. How many times does she knock on doors to have some of us even come here? She knocks and knocks and knocks. And that knocking has become loud enough that she will walk into my office and I'll walk her into the next place and the next place. She has not succeeded. But the fact that we are here this evening, it is a step towards a certain policy being actioned. So parents, dear parents, I am asking that we stand up for our children by being there for them. So yes, policies are there, uh, rights are there, but somebody has to move them from point A to point B. I want to correct Edwin, who has said that uh, we have to look out for the interest of our children. In CBC, we are not looking out for the interest. We are looking out for their potential. And every child has got a potential. We are looking out for their potential. Go discuss with the teacher. What is my child capable of doing? And then after that, if the school is not doing anything, start working. Look for a group of parents. Go to uh, KICD. Ask them, OK, you made the curriculum. It's not working for us. Somebody has to start this noise somewhere, then the rest of us can listen. Uh, let me now stop talking like an activist and go back and talk like government. My name is Lydia Chege. I'm from Kenya Institute of Special Education. Uh, autism is said to be uh, an emerging disability. I'll use the term that people are using, but we have to stop using it. And because then it is said to be an emerging disability, we do not have uh, contextualized tools for diagnosing autism. And that is why Martin has said, now we have the National Assessment Center at KISE, we are working on tools. Yes, we have tools, they're not 100%. Yes, I've heard that we are supposed to work with the Ministry of Education, we are working with them right now. And that is why the EAC at KISE is not education, assessment and resource center. It is education, assessment and research center. Currently, we are in a memorandum of understanding with Jombo Kenyatta uh, University of Science and uh, Technology, JQUAT, uh, in the Department of Health Sciences. And what we are trying to do is not try, what we are already doing at KISE and those who have come have seen them. We are having their physiotherapists and occupational therapists come to KISE 
at any given week, I have about six to 10 of them. And then we are having the lecturers and we are saying, can we have a conversation where now the medics have to realize that they have a big role to play in education. And because of that, there are a few interventions that we are trying out for autism and we are documenting them. So that then later, we shall walk to Martin in the ministry and say, now can we put this as an action plan? Can we have this as a policy? Let me just mention very briefly what we are doing. Apart from diagonizing for autism, together with Kenyatta uh, uh, National Referral Hospital, we've started play therapy as uh, an intervention for autism. We have a sensory integration room, which we are still equipping. And uh, I agree with Marcy, getting these things to Kenya is a problem. It has taken us one year. But at least we have received some items, and we are seeing what benefit it has for children with autism. And then we have introduced a heated pool. And this heated pool, when we were making it, uh, initially people thought it was uh, uh, for physiotherapy for just these other children. But one of the things that we are doing, we are putting children with autism in that pool, and we do it together with a therapist and an assessor. And we are documenting what we are seeing. We've already seen a lot of development, so that later, then we shall have these conversations and say, what can we do? Does the government have a heated pool at uh, Kasarani Sports Stadia? If they have, can then we can we talk to the government and the National Council so that we have the children access that particular pool? So we are researching, we are documenting. Those parents who are around us at Kise, let them come, let them use this facility. We have, for example, we've put, those who have been to Kise recently, you realize we have a trampoline inside and a trampoline outside. If your child has got autism but has got an issue with cold, they can jump inside. And what we're trying to do is document all that we are seeing so that when you come and we diagonize, you're not just given a diet as you say. We have other interventions. Then now we can sit with KICD and say, can we have an education uh, uh, system for children with this kind of special needs and this is their path, that is where, that is where they need to go. I've just come from Manzoni and we are discussing what are the gaps in education because as Martin says, we've realized there are a lot of gaps. But we ha we're also telling the scholars and especially the universities, can we stop just research researching on funding? Can we research on this called emerging disabilities, for example, if you're a scholar within disability and education, and tell us what are we supposed to do with these children? So we are not perfect, but we have acknowledged as government, as Martin said, there are gaps. We are trying to fill those gaps. We shall fill those gaps with you. So this is a journey that we walk together. As I hand over this mic to Sylvia, I will say this. Yes, let us have those special schools but let's create demand within our government schools. Let's create those demands. That is why the government has given interns teachers, because somebody has created a demand. Just remember we are coming from 23,000 primary schools to 8,000 secondary schools, and we are talking about 100% transition. What have we done? Created a demand so that we have to expand secondary. And that is why currently almost every primary school has got a secondary school. Are we together? And then every primary school is supposed to have an early learning section. Can we make sure that every primary school has got learners with special needs 
Let those learners be there. Let the parents come and say, now the learners are in Kise primary. What is happening? Let us drum it so hard that somebody has to say, what can we do? That is what we are doing. We are not being given everything by government. For those of you who have been following Magoha, he's come to Kise twice because we keep telling him, this is not yet done. Can we create that demand? Because then supply will have to follow demand. If we shall withdraw our children and keep them at home and not register them for homeschooling, as Edwin has said, somebody will not know that they exist. And that gap will continue being there. Let us continue this conversation. Let us continue this conversation. Just like, allow me to be a little bit naughty, just like Twa 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 has trended this week. Why can't this conversation trend this week? Why can't we have it on WhatsApp? Why can't we, can't we have it on Kenyans on Twitter? Where does it end when we leave this room? Let's continue this conversation. Thank you. It has actually thrown the challenge to every person sitting here, and collaboration is key. I always say, I can come and step in as Sylvia, create this, par this platform, but if the parent does not occupy that chair, all is in vain. If the parent does not continue and step out and say, this is my child and this is what I have gone through, this is what I'm expecting to get in return. This is, I, I am only one, I can only speak of my experience. Masi has spoken of her experience. Of course, someone in uh, Kajado, someone in Kisi, someone in Mandera has a totally different experience. And we can never know what's going on out there. And like we had said, they have set up the policy. They expect it to go everywhere. Martin here will be in the office expecting the same to be going on in every other section. But you as a parent, if you don't step up and say, this is what you say, but I cannot see it. I have not felt it, then how will we be able to know that there is progress or something is happening? I'd like for us to introduce Kamunyo so that he can share with us his experience. Yeah, I, um, He currently works at CCK, Communication Corporation of Kenya. Is that right, right? <laughs> and he is a person living with cerebral palsy. He has defied odds. And I would like for him to just share his story as we use it as a break before we, get, we go back to the panel. Come on, we'll come. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Good day, Vicky. I am Madhikarugu Kamoyo. I was born with cerebral palsy. 34 years ago, I'm turning 35 years on the 14th December. Now, if you see me here, it wasn't easy. First of all, I went to various schools up to now, I've done even a degree, and now I've started my master's. So, first of all, for parents, you should accept your child the way he is. Go with him everywhere. I've 
gone to many many places and one thing I would like UNICEF to do with the health care. You see, first of all, you know our children are covered under the parents' medical care. But when you leave, you try to get your own medical cover. I was rejected by every in Kenya, even international one. Now, because I know I'm employed, now they knock at my office for me to invest. I usually kick them out of the office because if they did cover me when I needed them, why are they coming now? Because I'm afraid it is a difficult life, but you will put it that If I would ask, um, going to school and defying odds that you've actually done a master's, how was actually the process of looking for a job? We've just heard about uh, the medical insurance side of it. And uh, for, to the parents, this is what we speak about, love your child unconditionally, accept them. He's where he is because the parents never gave up, right? And that is one key we need to do all the time. You stand by your child, even when anyone else will not stand by them. You are the key person who's going to determine their future. So I'll put it back, then you can answer those few questions for me. When I finished my that year, there was a lady called Masi Wajau, who is now the active director general at Communication Authority of Kenya. So there were in a group of women with my mom. So when I finished that year, I think she my mom was asked what next for Kanuku. So Masi told my mom, I will open a way in the CCK. Then I went there for internship in 2012. And on the that day, I was told, we've liked your work. So go get your bachelor's, then come back. So I went back to school, and 
subject is to know I wasn't in a normal university. I was there in a university called Dark, which is now Gates, Africa. You do have written so far like 38 projects to be where I am. So I went back there. I wrote a thesis and did something called credit transfer to business school of Costa with Fazadia result. I got a B thesis and I was offered bachelor's in business administration faculty of entrepreneurship as a small business management. So when I did that, I wrote again to Communication Authority of Kenya. I was called on the 14th March 2016 as a contract that it was new target. So when it was January 2017, there was an internal job at advertisement. I applied and I got a job. <laughs> now I'm in a duty department which is called Innovation Research and Development and my title is Intellectual Property Rights Officer. Thank you. Thank you very much. You can just sit here. But now I just wanted him to come so that you can see if you focus on the ability and not the disability, you can move mountains, right? Everything is possible. It doesn't make anyone any less. It doesn't make them have anything different. But if we create, if we create, let, 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 let me just sit here, it's fine. All right. So all we need is patience, inclusion, create the opportunity, and trust you me, they will excel. And that is what I want all of us to do. And like you've heard, no one opened the doors until he got a job. But how was he to get a job when they did not accept him in the first place? How was he to get to where he was when there is no college that could accept him until that one accepted him? Then from there, he could transfer his credits now to our local education system. Martin Leukonakazingumu, because most of the things are actually geared towards um, 
education in this conversation. So I would like to get back and I'd like to go through some of the questions that we have received from you. And I will go, I will dive to you first, Alex, because yours is uh, a list, <laughs> right? But I'll try and summarize so that um, we are able to cover it as soon, in the fastest way possible. All right, so this, I'll, I'll send to you both Ministry of Labor and NCPWD, sadly, that's okay. All right, so under the Ministry of Labor, we have a question about the big four agenda, especially housing, if we are considered, considering our special children require special surroundings. All right, and when we're looking at, uh, in, in the same concept, when it comes to buildings, I'll give you an example of public places. When we go to something, say, this is now from my experience, when I went to get my passport, my child had a meltdown. Everyone thought I was stolen this child, but there is nothing, there was no conducive environment to go and deal with him and let him go through it. So could we be able to get secluded areas where our special needs children are able to be catered for without everyone thinking we are violating them in some way? How many artistic parents feel me? All right. And when we show up and you say you have a special needs because it is not physically visible, the wrath that you get now from the, the person who's serving you, you have to explain and not many people know. So if we could have um, training for people who are handling the public so that they know apart from physical disabilities, we have other disabilities that require special uh, exemptions also. And then there was a question of um, support. Marcy had already touched on that in terms of, uh, of AIDS, learning AIDS. The same way we get wheelchairs and crutches. How could our special children be included? Something as key as laptops is something that would go a long way for speech and also for our children who learn more by seeing. All right? All right. Um, Kendi, from Dyslexia Talks, you, you, do you agree with that? All right? I'll give her a moment later so she can at least touch a bit on learning disabilities so that we understand and hear how it has been also for her. Then there is the issue of registration. The process of registration taking a long time and what actual benefits do the neurodiverse community get? Because most of it says severe disability. How do we gauge severity in this case? When, then there is tax exemption. And apart from tax exemption, we also have the fact that if this tax exemption is there, but for us, we take care of our children. You had Mercy had to quit her job, all right? Most of our kids are on diapers up until even 10. We have delayed. Our expenses are heavier, quite, quite heavy. So how do we get exclusion of some of this thing and government support in the same line? Even in terms of education, we've heard that our education classes are not well equipped. We are forced to take our children to special schools. Fees of special school is not something. When you've already quit your job, you cannot work because this child requires a lot of care. So how do you afford to then take your child to a special school? Because you want to have the best for your child, but you cannot afford it. These are some of the challenges that make it hard for us to actually come out and put our children in, in schools. 
and then there is the assessment, the process of assessment, having um, to go to a listed, is it five places that you can only go to get assessment? You go today, there is the person, the, the, we require five signatures, right? Then you find this doctor is here today, tomorrow the, the other one is not there. Can we be able to have a place where they're all there at the same time and let it not be just a Friday thing, let it be any day? Because you find we have parents who travel long, long, long distances just to come and try and get registration for persons. And then the categorization also, as Lucy had said, the language that we're talking about. You go and your child is clustered as mental disability when we clearly know it's not a mental issue. Let me pause there <laughs> so that you can be able to tackle those ones. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Um, I salute you back again. Um, I thought uh, my friend would mention that we supported him um, together with the communication uh, CCK to buy the wheelchair. In fact, this is one of the best examples that we have to show that we are um, supporting people to make their working environment to be conducive and better. And when I see him with his wheelchair, in fact, my friend didn't uh, believe that that wheelchair would uh, uh, go the ramp. Uh, I'm happy, and I'm, uh, I'm happy, and I'm very much um, impressed. Ita. Um, I want to say this, um, that indeed, uh, if I could start with the last question about assessment, we have done a lot of changes in our assessment, um, in our registration department. Remember, we are supposed to register. Uh, the, the government gives us the, 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 the mandate to register persons with disabilities in the country. Uh, we do not do it alone because at the National Council, we don't have that capacity to, to assess, to see uh, and know whether a person has a disability or not. Uh, even if you came without a limb in, in the council, we don't have that legal um, capability or capacity to declare you to be physically um, disabled. So we depend on our medical personnel and uh, we have registered hospitals in the country gazetted hospitals that do disability assessment all over the country. Um, these hospitals, uh, we depend on the medical personnel, the doctors, the physiotherapists, um, the occupational therapists, and the other cadres of the medical personnel. And we have panels. We have created panels in hospitals where in hospital, for example, in Nairobi, we only have and of course, people think Kenyatta is uh, uh, gazetted. Kenyatta is not gazetted. We have Mamalusi, Bagadi, Spinal Injury, and Matare. They are the ones that are gazetted to do disability assessment. And we are agree that um, they do that over and above their normal uh, duties as medical personnel. And this becomes a big challenge because... Um, they have other duties, and you know with Kenya, the ratio of a, a doctor to, 
the patient is so high. Like in Baghdadi, you find queues of very many people, and the, the medical personnel there are overwhelmed. So what they have done, they have created days, assessment days, where, for example, in spinal injury, they do it in every Wednesday. Um, they create that time where they do the assessment. Um, we don't do five medical personnel. Um, we, the medical, uh, uh, the disability assessment, say a minimum of three, three medical assessment, I mean uh, personnel, and one of them must be a doctor. And during those assessment days, they are all present there, so they sign that form right there. The big challenge has been from the, medic, from the hospital to the director of medical services, the DMS, because the DMS has to append his signature to confirm what the assessment team did. Now that is normally the biggest challenge and the delay, because most parents here have experienced delay in registration. The delay comes from the hospital to the DMS, and the DMS signature is only one in the whole country. Um, he has to sign all those forms from all over across the country. That has been a challenge, and we have streamlined that. We have talked to the Ministry of Health, and they have accepted to decentralize that signature. So right from uh, next year, we are going to have all county heads to be signing that place of the DMS. So those forms will come from the counties when they are already signed. With us at the National Council, our role is very simple, to just produce the ID card. And that one, some counties have even started buying those uh, card machines to, 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 to make the cards. So it, going forward, it is going to be a very easy uh, exercise to register persons with disabilities in the country. Uh, that is good news. Now, um, the other question is, um, or rather the other issue is registration and the terminologies. Indeed, we have, there before, autism used to be categorized as mental. And we, from where we come from, autism and mental handicapping conditions are two different things. When I am autistic, I don't have mental I'm not mentally retarded. So that has been corrected, and right now, autism is a category. And those who are getting their cards now from the National Council, they have autism as a category of disability. I think that rests that case. Um, then if we go to support aids, like laptops and the rest, Indeed, our, and this is exactly what I, my department now does, eh? we are client-oriented department. We don't buy assistive devices because we want to buy them to our clients, no. We buy them as per the specifications of our clients. And we normally insist in the part C of the assistive device application form you have that technical person, expertise, recommending the device. If the expertise recommended your device is a laptop 
with whatever software we go ahead and buy. We, we buy anything that has been recommended by the expert. So this is good news that we, you can come to us, we will buy those laptops. The only challenge that has been from where I sit is if a device costs more than the threshold, we are only allowed to go up to 100,000. Like his case, we supported him up to 100,000. And it was now his own um, initiative. He went and talked to the, to the employer who accepted to top up because that wheelchair costed around 180. So the employer accepted to, to top up. So if a device like a laptop goes beyond 100,000, then we might require the client to do a top up. However, um, that for laptops, I think they don't go anything beyond 100. So it's good news also. Then the Ministry of Labor about housing, um, that one I'm not in a position to answer right away, but I think uh, because I said I'm coming to listen and to, to take notes, I think I'm going to escalate it to our ministry. And the, the thing here is, it is so easy when there are some uh, programs of the government, use your forums, your platforms to go and claim, like what Lydia said, uh, uh, go and claim your space. Yeah? Let the government know that in the, in, the, in the services they are offering, there is a gap somewhere. However, we have a disability uh, mainstreaming officer whose role is to talk to government agencies and inform them on how to mainstream disability in their workplace. So I also want to say that yes, we are going to, uh, to trigger the mainstreaming department for them to specifically address that issue of parents, um, you said parents um, who are going to apply for, for passports? Yeah, yes, so we are going to, yes, and services. We are going to trigger the ministry, I mean the department of mainstreaming for them to adequately address your issue. Then uh, I think uh, that is it. If there are more, I think I'm, I'm open for the discussion. Thank you. Thank you. I just have two reflections from the conversation so far. And one point that I've been hearing from you is there seems to be sort of a perception that different disabilities require different accommodations. So if you're a wheelchair user, you require different accommodations. If you have autism, you require different accommodations. And UNICEF, our role is to actually gather evidence on best practices across the globe. And I don't know if you've heard the concept of universal design, okay? It's a, it's a concept that modifies the infrastructure in order to accommodate all people regardless of their size, regardless of their age, regardless of their disabilities. Let's take the door as an example. Have you seen a round doorknob, right? So if, if your door has a round doorknob and you don't have arms, can you open the door? No. So there's a limitation there. But if you change the doorknob into a lever, 
doorknob. You know this, this like uh, a lever thing instead of a round doorknob? If you don't have arms, you can use your arm. Or if you're holding your baby or if you're holding something, you can use your arm to open it. All right? But there's another extreme universal design for that. Sensor door. That whether you're a wheelchair user or you're blind or you're, you're a two-year-old, you can access the door because it, it's a sensor door. Universal design advocates that when we build infrastructure, when we create materials, we have to acknowledge the different styles of and the different responses of people. So the good news now is that we're working with the Kenya Institute of Curriculum Development, and I think this is exciting for you, in order to develop accessible digital textbooks. The past one and a half years, what UNICEF did with KCD was to choose a subject area under CBC, and that was environmental activities for first graders. And what we did was we transformed the textbook into an accessible textbook. What that means, there's an audio feature for blind learners. There is a signed language inset for children who are deaf. And there are simplified texts for children who may struggle with learning. So this is an example of universal design. While I understand that certain disabilities require specific accommodations, I think we need to look at some ways on how to look at the universal design and ensure that these materials are accessible to all. Second point is on terminologies and labeling. I know that this is an ongoing debate and conversation Autism, cerebral palsy, oh, this child has cerebral palsy. The trend now is the introduction of Washington group of questions, right? And if you notice, during the census, I was asked these six questions. And what this does is we don't want to label children or people, but we want to identify their level of difficulties. So, for instance, instead of saying that this child is blind, we measure the significant limitations that this child is facing based on his or her vision. And in that way, we, we stay away from labeling and also other things. But these are just some of the global practices and global standards that Kenya needs to be aware about. And you know, with government and civil society, we need to reflect on how these practices can be modified, if possible, into the Kenyan context so we further promote the inclusion of children with disabilities. Edwin, do you want to support that conversation? Yes. Yeah, just to add my voice, um, for example, in terms of uh, buildings, the Disability Act already puts in place some provisions about adjustments to buildings. But the question is follow-up. We have got a lot of buildings coming up everywhere, even in Nairobi, new buildings, but they still don't follow this universal design principle. Who is complaining? Who is raising their voice? When we leave this conference hall, is there somebody who will give feedback to this place? That, for example, 
the toilet was not accessible, for example, the parking was not. That helps them also because they are not experts sometimes in these things. But giving feedback, con continuing the conversation will strengthen our position. Why we have actually now, a, we are getting a very beautiful resource center at Kise, which has most of these accessibility issues we're talking about considered. It's because of the noise that we have made, because of the experience that the teachers there have had out in the field, and so on and so forth. So it trickles down to continuous conversations. And I would ask civil society, who can produce a video, for example, of a simply, nicely, universally designed building? Just an example. Even for me, when I am 60 and I cannot climb stairs 80, 90, I may need to start breaking down my house again and reconstructing. But if I have used that lens, then it benefits me. So we can sell it from that point of that being a benefit to all of us and not just disability. Why do people find it easy to get their entry through disability? Yet they all want these things. But they always have to say, you know, persons with disability will benefit. But no, it's for everybody. So let's look at it from that point. Thank you. Okay. Um, the Ministry of Education had a list. So I've given him prior to just compile everything, and then he will get back to him. <laughs> so for you, Lydia. <laughs> <laughs> on, your, on your side, the most question that kept being repeated was about assessment at the center. One, integration and placement. Uh, there's a parent who asked about the child being 30 and they've not been able to be placed past that. It's, I think that's similar to what I'd mentioned earlier about continuity and integration from one level to another. Kindly guide the parents on, on that. I'm sure if you give guidance, it will be able to answer quite a handful of the questions that I have. Thank you. I, I was still expecting a question on transition. And I, I said I've just come from another discussion elsewhere on um, the gaps we have in education. And uh, for our own information, uh, somebody asked about uh, special TVETs. I know Martin will say we have four uh, uh, technical, uh, special needs technical training institutes, but I want to say we have more than 130 technical training institutes. Why am I using 130? There's no child who is supposed to be enrolled in a TTI, uh, whether it is at the National Polytechnic, at the Technical Institute, or at Vocational, and then they're told like there's nothing we can do for you. This is what we need. Th these are the conversations we need to have. And sometimes just just go back to the director of DSNE and say, my child is in uh, this TTI and uh, they're having this kind of a challenge. Let us have this kind of discussions. Uh, because if we don't create demand, then nothing will happen to those children. Just very quick ones. There is transition. But the major transition issue we've been having is for the so-called, I'll use the term that is currently being used, emerging disabilities and uh, children with mental disabilities. But we've just launched a course and trained the first group of 20 uh, head teachers of schools, uh, 
schools for the chil for children with mental disabilities. We've just completed the course last week on Friday, and we are addressing the issues of transition. We sit here, for example, we know that current Technical Training Institute has been a Technical Training Institute for the deaf for so many years. But currently, it takes all other disabilities and especially children with mental disabilities. But as we take the children there, as I said, let us be part of the conversation with the Technical Training Institute so that when our children go there, one, they get to do the courses they would like to do, and two, we do not take children to a place to just grow up. If a child is in Jacaranda, for example, and they've been there year one, year two, year three, I've grown up in Nairobi. I have seen children go to Jacaranda since I was in high school. I went to college. I have seen them go there. I became a high school teacher. I've seen them go there. I am so afraid of going to Jacaranda and go and meet my age mates still in school. And I'm headed towards retirement, definitely. The first day you're employed, you start working towards your retirement. So we need, for example, to walk the journey that uh, Kamodo has talked about, avail ourselves for what can we do, not just as parents. Go talk to Edwin and say, what project are you coming up with and what can one or two of our children take? I'm not here to promote anybody, but I had a discussion when we had a training with uh, the Australian Awards on TVET. And we told them, yes, you have come to discuss about TVET here, but we want our space. As Kise, we want our space for children with special needs. And when we were negotiating for that space, I came across KCCL. Some of you know KCCL. And they have a wonderful program. I really wish that Madame was here. She's, she's around. Yeah, they have a wonderful program where they, 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 you're trained as per your potential. It's only that, yes, the, examin the examining body is outside this country. That is what Martin, we need to bring into this country. But because now, as a country, we are embracing and we have embraced CBC. Remember, our CSAs, CBC has to be implemented to pende to sipende. Actually, my colleagues' parents in special needs, we should be the first people to embrace CBC so that we reach the path. So you know there is a path. We, we learn up to a certain point and then we start branching. I can't wait for us to branch. Because once we branch, then the next thing we want to know is how will our children be certified. But as I sit here, one thing that I can comfortably exit from special needs education today and leave behind is that we have had enough conversation with NEC that examine me as per my potential. Apart from giving those extra minutes for children with uh, the traditional disabilities, I like that now we are at a point whereby we've even discussed with Nita, Tivet is taking it up. If I can make a stool, examine me for a stool. Can you stop those theories of yours? Because we are even saying the people in the Juwakali industry, and we know that most of our children have already gone to Juwakali industry. They are very good at making something. Can they be examined for that making something? That, that something. Can we stop looking for what we never taught them because we never had the right pedagogy to teach them? We are there. Present those candidates. Don't look for KCP. Don't look for KCSE. Can you go to NITA and ask the director there, the craft course, what can our children be examined for? Because we're at a point where we are saying, can we have the industrial model? Do you know the industrial model? The industrial model is whereby this is a, car, a factory where we manufacture cars. 
the best thing that I can do is do rivets. You know, you know rivets, I can only do rivets. You do the tires, you do the engine. When it reaches rivets, bring. That is what I will do. That is what I am employed for. And as Kamodo says, I have a job title in that factory. Because what amazes me in this country, and I'm a researcher in uh, education, in employment for youth with disabilities, is that in other countries, children with neuro uh, disabilities are employable. Actually, children with mental disabilities are employable in the service industry. They are there in hotels, for those of us who have traveled. But they're not employed here. Why are they not employed here? Can we certify them for cake decoration? That is what they qualify for. They look for a job with that. Or we start an industry and we employ them to do exactly that. So that we stop having this idea of mercy saying, I'm tired at home because of these children. I always say, as a mother, I am a mother. By the way, I'm a mother. My work was to give birth to children, which we call created with God. Are we together? After the children are born, they are supposed to belong to the state. For me as a mother or as a father, I'm supposed to teach them values. But for them to become those human beings, productive human beings, the state has a, a duty, has a role to, to play. But the state will only play that role, for example, if we present ourselves at BOMAS to contribute to that conversation. If, for example, I know Alex, we're still reviewing the Disability Act, I always say there's a reason why that Disability Act has never gone through the second reading in the House. Do you know why? I won't tell you why, but you need to go take the reviewed Disability Act, look for the gaps, look for where we are as parents, go and submit those to the right people. There's a caucus in Parliament. Go present your views. And as they review the Disability Act, as we government review the Disability Act, look at also the CRC. We are saying 30 years, but what is there in the CRC for we as the Kenyan child? Because after CRC, Kenya has got the Children's Act 2001. What is there for our children with these diverse disabilities? So you read those things, look for the small gaps, and write and take them to the people. We have senators who are there representing what? Special interest groups. They don't have a constituency. The constituency is you. They don't have any other constituency. Isaac Mora, he has no constituency. The constituency is you and you and you and me. Are we together? Disturb them like you have never disturbed them. Please do. Take a memorandum if you're in Nairobi to Sonko and say these are our children. But sometimes we, we get so much afraid that I'm afraid that other people, the hawkers can scream. The Juakali industry can scream. But for us, we are like... Whom are we screaming to? Please scream at our door in Kise. Give us work. Scream at Martin's door. And Alex has just shown his face, and he said he came to represent the director. He didn't come to represent the director. The Lord has a reason why he sent him here. Go to his office and say, Alex, here we are. We have come. Children with albinism are getting the lotion. What are our children getting? And he says, what do you want them to get? Give him the list. Then leave it. After three weeks, go back. Create work for government officers. We have a lot of work, but create more work. We need to address transition together, you and I. Go to the nearest VTC, that is the vocational training center, that is under the county government, and say, our children, we don't want our children to go to boarding school. I'm one person who doesn't like boarding school. 
I would like our children to go to day school so that you're able to see the welfare of your child uh, at the end of the day. But ensure that the closest technical institute to you is well equipped for your child. It can only be equipped if you go to the county government of Nairobi, if you're in Nairobi, in Kisi, if you're in Kisi, and say, we have this number of children there, they are not being taken care of. People are uh, matched in this country because there were potholes. The potholes have disappeared slowly by slowly. Isn't that so? Can we, uh, Sylvia, we need to carry placards one of these days, but I'll be at the back because I'll be from government. <laughs> and then the rest of you can be at the front. But transition will only be addressed if as parents we sit together, have a conversation, have a solution, but say within this solution, government has to come in in this way and that way and present it as a communicate to government. Right now we have a minister who is very passionate. Martin, I believe I'm right very passionate about matters disability. Please pay him a visit and say, we would like to come to your boardroom on 10th floor and go with a few of these children and say, we don't want pity. What we are saying is these children can do A, B, C, D. I'm sure he will ask where. Where can it be done? It can be done at this college. It can be done at this school. And then he'll say, what is the problem? I told him, Bonasias. Uh, it is the funds. He said, which funds? Government has funds, and he gave us funds. Please go see Magoha before he can exit from the Ministry of Education. Give him work. Amemaliza exam. Siako karibu kurilize form four. Give him work before January. Go see him. Thank you, Lydia. There is one question that uh, Alex had skipped, so I'd like for him to address, then now we come back to... Uh, Okay, um, there is a question about uh, the cost of therapy, all right? Um, and as I talk about the cost of therapy before I forget, let me bring some information that you need to know as Andy, that uh, we have some funds that we are giving for awareness, yeah? And you rightfully qualify uh, to apply for awareness. Go to our website. <laughs> Go to our website. Uh, there is that, there are those guidelines you'll read and uh, you'll just apply. And I'm sure, I'm sure you, you will uh, receive some funds. Now, number two. Yes, website, our website, www.ncpwd.go.ke ncpwd.go.ke um, We support institutions. We support institutions um, like schools. If you registered that school with the Ministry of Education, uh, whether private or uh, public, if you registered it, and then you have a program that is geared towards uh, children with autism, for example. You come to us, we will support to equip uh, that institution if it is registered with the Ministry of Education. So you can work around that and see whether you can have a model kind of an institution so that where these costs of this therapy can be reduced because if you are uh, supported to buy the equipment, 
then the cost definitely will come, will come down. Um, my department rehabilitation, we specifically support that rehabilitation aspect for people who acquire uh, disabilities in their later part of their lives. And I can now give a, uh, I think I will uh, go and ask our director to allow me to support one or two rehabilitations that are um, congenital, yes, but they may be, if we can prove to the, to the council that that rehabilitation will help that person to transform their life, then I think I'm going to take one or two examples so that uh, we can now demonstrate, because the board said that rehabilitation for the newly acquired disability. If we can demonstrate to them that, see how pekeake that require rehabilitation, we may need to support speech therapy and all that uh, to honor who you are hivi kabla, and then after he is this way, then I, I'm sure they are going to allow us to, to be supporting uh, for rehabilitation. Yes. Um, there was the issue that I know I have three parents plus asked about tax exemption plus benefits of acquiring the card for parents of the neurodiverse community. Because yes, we have cards, we are registered, but what do we do with them? Um, for the cards, I think uh, all children with disabilities are entitled to our education support program. We have a, 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 a vibrant education support where we give bursaries. Not, not uh, um, there is a, the bursary and there is scholarship, right? We give bursaries. So we, are, we want to introduce the scholarship element. So scholarship means to kikuchukua, if we take you in our program, then all through, we work with you throughout the education cycle. We are going to do that. But right now we do bursaries and they are entitled to bursaries. Number two, for tax exemption, it is unfortunate that parents do not qualify for tax exemption. Why? According to the council, parents are third parties. And I know that is an issue of uh, advocacy that you need to, to really take up with the board. Um, parents are considered to be third parties because we deal with the person with disabilities themselves. So not any other person. So we can uh, have a discussion on that, uh, engage our board members for them because they are the ones who do policies and they are the ones who tell us what to do at the secretariat. Uh, yeah, I know you have, uh, there is room for discussion there. Uh, but unfortunately, since, by the way, before I became an employee of the council, I was a board member of the council. The second board, the first board was Kinamuaura. The second board, I was there uh, as a board member. And all through the life of the council, we have had parents of children with disabilities uh, talking and talking and talking, but unfortunately, uh, nobody has ever thought about doing a program specifically for parents uh, in terms of tax exemption and all that. 
but we, we have a vibrant program where we are doing support to parents, um, cash transfer, uh, group support, you know, group of parents with of children with disabilities, they come to us, we give them some funding for their projects and all that. Uh, that one is there. But for tax exemption, oh, Aki, it's a tall order. <laughs> I believe uh, I will leave that. I will uh, specifically request to have a, spe a special neurodigest when you go to season two with the National Council to address everything in detail. And for parents can still send in the questions, then we will address them in detail and seek audience. Now to the ministry for the long list as we look at the time. But uh, these are issues that were raised by parents and we would hope to have at least all of them looked into before we disperse. Thank you for the opportunity, Sylvia and colleagues. Um, I do agree with basically all the things that have been spoken so far. Um, I've compressed the issues to a couple of them that I think about five. I believe I will have a answered most of the questions, if not all, but I'm still open to expounding. The first thing is inclusive education. And the question is, is Kenya ready? Are we even ready for inclusive education? And the answer I would give for that is the same answer that we've spoken since we sat here. And that answer is, create the need. If we do not have the need for inclusive education, if our children are not in those schools, then how will you manage to have inclusive education? So far, there has been funding provided for infrastructure. One was um, uh, used to construct ramps. I'm sure you've seen many of the public schools with um, ramps here and there. But we do have a long way to go in terms of making a least restrictive environment for public schools. Because we are talking about widening the doors, ensuring that uh, the switches and the sockets are reachable, the taps are reachable, we have toilets for children with disabilities in the schools. So we do acknowledge that there is a challenge in terms of infrastructure and also issues of, um, of um, attitudes and such. But if you look at other countries and what they have done to ensure that inclusion works, and one of the best examples that I would give for myself um, for inclusive education is actually the inclusion, racial inclusion in America. If you look at that example, they did not wait until the society, and by society I would say majority white society in the US. They didn't wait until the majority white society said, okay, yes, now we are ready to have black students in our schools, bring them in. They brought the students into the schools regardless of public um, outcry. They brought the children, including providing them with security to be able to be sustained in school. So the point is, it is not a matter of whether they, we are ready right now or not. It is a matter of, do we have the will? Are we doing something about it? And do we believe as government it's doable? And when I look at, when I listen to what the CS says, and when I read all our documents, all of them in their entirety, we are pro-inclusive education. And the thing is, we should start and move from there, solve the problems as we find them. If we wait to be ready, we might delay too much. Uh, we have met some steps, of course. One is the introduction of NEMIS. You know about NEMIS. Once the child is registered in NEMIS and the child is 
shown in NEMIS as a child having a disability, obviously the extra funding that goes to children with disabilities will go to this child. What does this one open? This one means that the child that has a disability who is registered in NEMIS will now be able to get this funding for a child with a disability, regardless of the school they are in. They could be in your next door school that is not a special school as we call them, but they will get the funding because they are registered as a child with a disability. So I think that's a step forward because currently only children that are in integrated programs, in units and special schools get this funding. And for me that is a step forward. In terms of st staffing, there's an issue that has been raised about um, uh, staffing which also touches on inclusive education as we sit here, I know KISA does most of the training for our learners and right now they've trained almost 40,000 teachers and other personnel in a special needs education, special and inclusive education. Madam Lydia might, might want to clarify that later in terms of the numbers. But in the new curriculum, the curriculum for teacher training is also being reviewed. And once it is reviewed, training for all teachers all of them in their entirety will also include a component of special and inclusive education. So we will not be looking at a situation where there are teachers in the schools and they actually don't know that these children exist. They will have been exposed in school. Now, if they want to go and advance that knowledge that they have basics of, then that will be upon the individual teacher. Um, remember that uh, the government, together with the government of the, the UK, hosted the Global Disability Summit. As a result of that, one of the commitments of government from the Global Disability Summit was inclusive education. That is one of the commitments, advancing inclusive education. And there is a committee that has been set up, which I'm a member of, and that is the Interagency Coordinating Committee for the commitments made in the Global Disability Summit. And that is government committing herself. So I would say that there is goodwill, and it is possible to do this at this point. EACs are still playing their role. We acknowledge their challenges. Um, we have still other interventions like uh, mobile schools, the starting of training of speech and, uh, speech and language therapists. For example, KU currently has a crop of probably, it has a cohort of, are they 20, I don't know, 20 something, maybe 22, I'm not sure. Sorry? Oh, the first class graduated last year actually. So now we have our own homebred speech and language therapists in the country. That has never happened before we didn't have a graduation prior to that one in the country. You had to go outside the country to get that. And those are all steps towards inclusive education because that is the stuff that we require for inclusive education, uh, to, 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 to implement inclusive education. On the CBC, uh, what does it have for children with neurological disabilities? I would say this. The CBC is not only one, one line of curriculum. We have the age-based curriculum under CBC and we have the stage-based curriculum under the same CBC. Now, the age-based curriculum is the one that has a three threads, if you remember them. Now, the stage-based curriculum is the one that will cater for our children who have severe disabilities, if you allow me to use that word. The children who would not be able possibly to maybe advance that much in academic, um, in, in academia, so, 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 to, so to speak. And therefore, this curriculum, once everything is in place and the materials have been developed, there will be a possibility now of a child who has the kind of disabilities today that we don't allow them to actually attend a school to follow that stage-based curriculum 
and actually graduate and be certified, because that is official. If you look at the basic education curriculum framework, that is set very clearly, and it is part of that. So in my opinion, the CBC is very pro-inclusive. And by the way, if you look at the CBC, you will realize that so far the arguments that have been placed against the CBC, there is no single argument against the content and the what of the CBC. What the CBC is, we all agree, is a good thing. Some of us might disagree with how we are implementing it, how we are doing it, but what it is, to be honest, stands to be a pro-inclusive system that will benefit our children, especially the ones with disabilities. I am convicted of that fact. Uh, the fact that CBC emphasizes on competencies, not only academic performance, makes it pro-inclusive and good for our children. There are the three strands, of course, having the STEM subjects, the science, technology, etc., social sciences, and then steps, uh, sports, I'm sorry. That means every child will have an opportunity to excel in the area that they are gifted in. Because we have children with disabilities who are very good in certain areas. You might have an, a child who is on the, on the spectrum of, 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 of the autistic spectrum disorders, but they might be very good, for example, in chess. If they excel in that, then they can go to that thread and push with that one and excel in that direction. And we have that already accommodated in the new curriculum, the CBC, and I believe um, it, is the, it is the right thing for our children. Um, we acknowledge that the CBC is there because of the need to plug in some of the spaces that we saw in the previous, or the weaknesses that we saw in the previous curriculum. And therefore, we should give it time. We should give time for the CBC to be implemented even before we be very strong in uh, opposing what it is. Um, schools for children with neurological disabilities, I, I know, because especially we are talking about children who are on the spectrum, that most of the institutions that accommodate these children are actually units for children with autist, aut autism, which are most of the times in schools for the mentally or for the intellectually uh, disabled. So there is a gap to an extent that we do not have fully pledged schools that are public for children who have autism. However, I would like to say that that appears to be the advantage. That could be the opportunity. Because now that we do not have special schools, now we have the opportunity to enroll these children in the regular schools, where they can fit, where they may not be able to fit there, then we can talk about establishing specific schools for these children. But let's ask ourselves, is it necessary to establish schools for children with autism and other neurological disorders such that they are only in special schools? Is it not worth thinking about having these children in the schools that are in the neighborhood where everybody goes? Because remember, the key intention and the aim of having an inclusive education is to end up with an inclusive society. The more we have a special education and an emphasis on special education, the more we'll have a special society. And that is the challenge that we face. I know there are many arguments, possibly, against inclusion and also against special education. But I would say the ministry recognizes the continuum of provisions. If you look at our documents, it recognizes special schools, integrated programs, homeschooling. As we speak now, the session of paper number one of 2019 recognizes homeschooling. The whole continuum includes, in, including inclusive education. So we are not saying close special schools and don't have all children in, in, in an inclusive setting. 
but we are saying let the inclusive option be the first one for inclusive education. Let that be the first option. Then provide the others on a needs basis. And that is the argument that I would uh, front for this one. Um, I'll go to TVET. As we are aware, um, most of the institutions that cater for our children have pre-vocational centers. And um, uh, we have a few, of course, institutions, TVET institutions, as um, Madam Lydia had mentioned. We have a few institutions that cater specifically for children who have disabilities. However, those institutions currently still accommodate children without uh, trainees, without disabilities as well. And therefore, that is already part of inclusion that is happening in our TVET institutions. About the multidisciplinary team, I would wish to say that um, we do have challenges for sure. For example, in the area of transport. That is one area that we really need to improve in the country, the area of transport. However, in policy, we acknowledge that we should be providing assessment under the multi, in a, using multidisciplinary teams. That is the ideal situation. Now, there is a, an aspect of personal, should I call it effort, or initiative. I can give examples of assessment centers, educational assessment centers that actually use the MDTs, let me call them that, multidisciplinary teams. One of them is St. Paul's IAC in Nairobi. They actually have a fully like, uh, seconded um, physiotherapist in the house. They get others to volunteer to come. They get students from Kise, from the universities, and all that. And they work very well with their team. We are, I'm also aware of um, Mumia's IAC in Kakamega. They have a fully Multidisciplinary, uh, they have a full multidisciplinary team that does assessments. In fact, through their own initiatives, they recently acquired a van that is, I would call it disability friendly, that can load somebody on a wheelchair from the back, a van. And that was not through our funding. And they've done a lot of projects, including establishing a um, dry cleaning business the other day, through their own initiatives to create funds in order to be able to do outreach. And they do farming also as another activity within the institution just to create you know, more income for the institution. So there is the part of innovation also because resources are always limited. And government may not have resources for everything each time, but they may have resources for some of the things some of the time, maybe not all the time, that you have everything that you require. That's why sometimes you have budgetary cuts and all that. Um, we have Kise, which is the greatest example that I would give as we speak now. Kise already has, I believe, officers from Ministry of Health as we speak. They have them right now as we speak. And therefore, these teams work, but they are not working everywhere because there's an issue of the proactiveness of the officers on the ground. And sometimes I think that is an area that we need to encourage the people to to, to, to do, to, to, you know, to be more proactive. About early identification and assessment, um, we have issues, as I acknowledge the issues that have been raised of working together with the Ministry of Health, because the people that handle the child after birth, immediately after birth, are the people that are in the hospital. And now you would ask yourself, do we have officers at the hospital that have um, the know-how to operate uh, maybe a screening audiometer, for example, to establish whether the child can hear or not. Can we have neonatal screening? 
I believe currently we may not have in ma that in majority of the, of, of the hospitals in the country. So by the time we realize that the child has a disability, it's probably two years down the line, and that is a bit too late, whether it is to fit in cochlear implants or to start therapy or whichever. So we do have that challenge, and it is a challenge that we are working to resolve. But we could also take advantage of policies. Like I looked at the school health policy of the county government of Nairobi. And they have a whole section on children with disabilities and working with school health in schools, working with schools for children with disabilities. Have we taken advantage of that and gone to the governor and told him, you have this in your policy, what are you doing about our children? Because that is one way you could get the therapy equipment, for, by the way, because that is one aspect of health, fitness. So those are some of the things that we need to, to take care of. But to cap it all, I would say that um, there is effort in training, as I mentioned, training of um, uh, officers at KISE, training at um, KU of SCARS skills like uh, speech and language therapists, among others. And as I had said before, funding is increased for children who have disabilities in our schools. Thank you. If I've left anything out, um, I, I wouldn't mind coming back and explaining. Thank you very much. Let's give him a hand. Thank you, Martin. I believe... Parents have been covered. Is there any question that you feel out of the ones we have picked or we received that has not been handled and is very pressing? Because because of time, I'd like for our panelists to just give at least their parting shots. Uh, anything that we feel that was left behind because it's supposed to be inclusive. These are questions from the floor. We will take a few. Makbul, please. Uh, while we're taking them, please, let's try and be very brief. Thank you. Okay, uh, my question, first of all, to KISE, is that um, KISE is the organization in Kenya that's charged with the responsibility of ensuring that uh, best practice is carried out in uh, education for children with special needs. And one of the biggest challenges that we have as parents is that KISE has not been able, though you've written it in your you know, your, that legal document of yours, I don't know what you call it, um, you really have not advocated for individual educationalized programs in schools. And even in your own model uh, unit, the parents whose children are going there, those with autism, all of them, you know, nobody, actually no child has an IEP there. So could Kise kindly do something about it? And then the parents of children with autism, uh, we're also experiencing difficulty with transition from children in um, Kise preschool to primary schools. So is there a possibility of setting up a primary school unit for them? So that, um, because they're being rejected in schools. I'm a mother of a 10-year-old, I've homeschooled him for the last uh, five years. And um, we were rejected in three schools. It was just impossible to keep him there because we had a lot of issues. Which brings me to my second question. We've had a whole two and a half, half hours discussion on autism, but I've not had the three buzzwords in autism. Evidence-based interventions. And the fact that behavioral intervention and the behavioral sciences are key to dealing with autism. So I, you know, for the whole panel, I just wonder where that fits into the whole um, national discussion in our country. 
Um, then the gentleman, Rolando, from <laughs> UNICEF, um, in our opinion as parents, and you know, some of us are represented here, our biggest um, impediment in this country is that we do not have a national policy on autism. That's why we have problems with um, government coming up with policy because we don't have uh, data on prevalence. I only know of Dr. Newton down in Kilifi in WHO who are doing epidemiology studies that are specific to autism. Um, in the national census, the, the short set of Washington group questions did not serve the community of people with autism. It actually didn't, <laughs> you know. And that is because, um, first and foremost, the six set of questions, and it's even there in their document as the Washington group, they specifically say that it's impossible to pick up autism, especially during early childhood, until about eight years, using the short set of Washington questions. And in as much as we're trying to um, avoid labeling, I saw um, uh, albinism put there as a, and yet albinism is, it's obvious to the naked eye, but autism is not because they can't see our children's brains. They can't see the inflammation on our children's brains. So if we were scared of labeling, why was albinism there? Why didn't you put autism there? I mean, I almost fought, came to physical blows with the person who was doing that because I had to get them to look for a section where I could put down my son's um, disabilities and the impediments to his, his development and so on and so forth. Now, my other question, sorry, I mean, I have to say this. Uh, National Council for People with Disabilities, we as uh, the autism community have found that they are over-focused on physical disabilities. When it comes to the intervention, they are over-focused on access. So they talk about buildings, ramps, you know, sensor, sensor, sensor doors and so on and so forth. But they are not addressing our issues as people uh, with neuro, neurodiversity and those of the caretakers. And that goes to the taxpayers' question. So we, we just want to beg you to take that issue to your board and let them discuss it. Then Ministry of Education, you talked about um, uh, early identification. I'm really sad Ministry of Education of Health didn't come because it begins with them. So if Ministry of Education, you talk to your counterparts in Ministry of Health, tell them number one, we want qualified uh, health personnel to do the uh, diagnosis for our children. And we want the, sep the diagnosis to be separate from the screening. Let them do the screening first as per the international standards. Let them use a tool like MCHAT, which is available. Let them use the DSM-5, which is a UN-accepted document, to do the diagnosis. And once the, the, the diagnosis and the screening is done right at the beginning, there'll be no um, hitches along the line when the child gets into the education system. And the sad thing is that what happens is that now, when you talk about a child with autism, everybody talks about vocational. I, you know, when I took my child to school, I was told, this child, forget about uh, academics. Just keep him wherever, and one day he'll go, he'll be, he'll be, he'll go to a vocational center. 
And I looked at that teacher and told her, you know what, you've said that to the wrong woman. And I have homeschooled my child for five school, for five years. My child swims, my child plays the piano, my child writes, my child reads. And all the while, my, style, my child is still not totally verbal. He's semi-verbal. He's actually on two words, an action and a verb. And we are using sign language for that. And another thing I wanted to address to him is that he should also try and advocate for sign language as a bridge to verbal communication for people with autism because it's a great tool. I have so many more things to say, but let me just stop there because... <laughs> yeah. One more. I know I am a beneficiary of a tax exemption certificate, but my question is the tax exemption certificate you're given for five years, and you know. There are some permanent disability and some but so what I'm trying to ask the National Council can it be increased to ten years? all 20 years for those who have permanent disability. I'm going now to UNICEF. Can you please talk with insurances to cover people like us? Because I don't want this children to suffer the way I went through. Thank you. All right, just one more. Thank you. My name is Alice Mundia. I chair a psychosocial support of parents with children on the autism spectrum, meaning that our group has over 500 parents, um, and we keep discussing together. One of the key challenges we have is the issue of schools. The special units available within Nairobi are about three uh, that cover uh, autism. We have um, Buruburu, Buruburu 1 Primary, we have uh, City Primary, and we have Kasarani. The state of the schools, they are basically run down, and the facilities are not um, really receptive to persons on the autism spectrum, meaning that most of our children are also in other special units, in other schools, I, basically in special schools, um, which is outside the government-oriented um, system. And one of the key challenges our children will also face, and we discussed about it earlier, is transition. We find, um, Madam Esther will tell you in KCCL, that um, most of the students are basically secondary school students, and she cannot even take the primary school students because uh, the school may not be accommodative. And what is happening is most of the children are not transiting. They are remaining in school for a very, very long time because of the programs that are there. And I go back to what uh, my colleague was saying, 
the evidence-based uh, methodologies of teaching. We only have one uh, um, BCBA in Kenya, a certified BCBA in Kenya, with Puja Panessa. And we have a, a big gap when it comes to training of our teachers on issues, uh, behavior, and handling of persons with autism. And basically the teaching methodologies that are widely accepted uh, across board as evidence-based. So basically I think uh, the Ministry of Education should also look into just having the teachers, even if it's just an additional unit where teachers are also trained on applied behavior analysis, even if they may not get the whole concept uh, certified by the board, but at least they should learn more about autism and the basic interventions that uh, need to be considered and taken into consideration, especially when it comes to early intervention. And so basically, when we meet most of the teachers, they just say that they write off your child, like uh, basically they cannot be taught and they need to be considered for vocational training. Which, which, which may not be the case. We know that while Dover, persons on the autism spectrum are trainable and they, they, they are becoming employable in various areas because of the strength that they have in terms of, because of the consistency. Um, they have a lot of strengths that need to be tapped and a lot of them are locked in houses and most parents, most of them, most of the children are not accessing basic education and benefiting from the interventions put in place by government. Thank you. Hello, good evening. I'm Purity Mombi, and uh, I work in a radio station, and we have that program that um, addresses matters disability, the voice of disability. And I also work with a foundation called Golden, Golden Love Foundation. And um, I'm happy for this forum. Thank you, Madam Ridia. I was a student in Kise, and there's so many times I knocked into your door, and you're so kind to me. Thank you so much. Um, my question goes to the Ministry of Education and to the National Council. After doing so many activities in Kiambu County um, as a foundation, we realized there is a lot of parents with children who have cerebral palsy. And in this case, it was severe, it is severe uh, cerebral palsy, whereby these children, and there is no any point, this child will go to school, will do anything. Uh, they are purely 100% dependent on their parents. And uh, because of that, um, I've come up with an initiative whereby um, we want to have them um, dropping the children to the school. Uh, I approached them. MP together with the parents and uh, the MP there, Honorable Jujom, accepted us to give us a room, a place whereby they should be go dropping the children and going back home or going to work. Uh, it's a dairy center, rehab, and we are intending to, uh, to have it start next year, January. Now, we have a myriad of challenges, but we believe in what we are doing because uh, in uh, if we can be able to hold hands together, I know we are going to realize this. Now, um, I'm trying to, uh, I would like to ask, how can you be able to come in and ensure all, what do we have, do you have, is a ministry. For those children whom you are going to bring there, they cannot be able to study at any point, but they belong to you, they are in the school setup, what do you have for them? For National Council, for a very long time, we've 
forgotten the caregivers. And these caregivers, uh, they, are not, they don't have any income because they are always there with their children 24-7. They don't work. Um, and uh, they, depend, they don't depend on anyone or they are dependent on someone. Uh, what do you have for them? What should we do for this particular home? What do you have for them as caregivers? I'm asking, what do you have for caregivers who have these children with severe needs in Kiambu County, in the center that we are about to start? What do you have for them? That's my question. I do see we have a lot of questions. So, why don't we do this? Let's answer these four, and then we come around again. Is that okay? Fantastic. Let's do that. And to our panelists as well, I, I do know we are very informative in that particular department, but I kindly ask you to just slightly keep it uh, short because of time. Thank you. Thank you. I'll be very fast, John. Uh, first of all, it's true. The children at the preschool didn't have IEPs, but from September, every child who has a special need in that nursery uh, has got an IEP. And actually, just as they were closing school, we reviewed the IEPs, and we are working together with the parents. Even now schools are closed, they still bring the children for therapy. And uh, all the children are attending therapy at the new center, because I said now we are doing research. About uh, making the preschool, we did draw a preschool and submitted a proposal to the National Council to fund us for the primary section, uh, because the government then was funding us for the National Assessment Center. So we would wish to continue modeling inclusive education, uh, and therefore I'm still hopeful that the director, Honorable Gabo, will at one of these points uh, support us in setting up that school. Martin, you can also hear there is the demand to upscale the model school, but our mandate as it stands, because KISA was created with a mandate of 1986, uh, then allowed us to run a preschool. So we are hoping that the ministry is also going to review the mandate to give us a, pre, uh, a, pr a proper primary school. Um, I just want to add on why don't we have sufficient teachers for autism? We train teachers for autism every other year, meaning we skip one year, because we have also to train for emotional and behavior difficulties. And I can tell you, the teachers really go. You know, they are everywhere in every county. So they really go, and then they are also taken by you people in the CBOs. And uh, therefore, you compete with the Teacher Service Commission, who is going to have the teachers. Is it the, the CBOs? Is it the private schools? Or is it... So the teacher who has pedagogies for autism is on high demand. So Martin, again, you need to write that down so that maybe we see whether we could double the number of uh, teacher trainees that we're training for pedagogies for autism. I will pass the mic to my neighbor, Edwin for one minute uh, to also tell us, are we really ready for inclusion for every child? Yeah, th th thank you. The discussion has uh, kept evolving and every person brings their ideas to the table, but the reality remains that uh, we will continue having different ways of looking at inclusion, but the child's needs must be met, that's the priority, in a least restrictive environment and in a manner that does not discriminate the child. 
from accessing services. So that is most important. Thank you. Just before the mic uh, moves, allow me to add this. Uh, we are championing IEP. Actually, there is no one else who champions IEP more than Kise. And what I want to inform all of us, CBC now has made sure that IEP is everyday classroom work. So, Martin, I believe there is no CBC without IEP. So, IEP now is going to be a must in every school. So, I think just one response. It's, it's interesting because we when you mention about your child being stereotyped to only go into vocational, I think it all boils down to stigma and stereotypes. And it's interesting because I haven't really heard about this issue so strongly, which I think is the root cause why people with disabilities and children with disabilities continue to struggle in inclusion. In the Philippines, for instance, if you have a blind child, the parents only expect you to be a massage professional. That's your future. So this is stigma and stereotype. And how can we address this? The challenge is we keep doing advocacy activities not so consistently and sustainably. So we have International Day of People with Disabilities. It's a one-day event. Oh, next year, 12 months later, let's do it. I think what is needed is a sustained and continued advocacy. You know, a stigma will never be eliminated, but we can minimize stigma and discrimination and stereotypes against disability. And I think this is something that we need to address as a whole. Thanks. Um, from my end, as an advocate, I will add on to that. We're, we're talking about emerging disabilities. It's actually, I believe, it's not emerging. It's been there. We're just more aware of it now. We have come out more. So people quite understand. So it's been there, but 80% of us have, how many of us have had cultural